0: Previously on the Broken But Beautiful podcast,
1: our first three episodes where we go through the flow of of the book that I published uh, just last November, Broken But Beautiful: Why Church Is Still Worth It.
0: JP and I have seen plenty and plenty of times that the church has been broken, but beautiful. And we're so excited to share some of that with you. So we're going to be
1: going through that flow and then we're going to start bringing on some guests. We've already done some interviews. We're going to start talking to people about this theme because we really want to cultivate and lean into a conversation of, hey, let's be honest about the bad stuff, but let's also name the good stuff. Like it's not all bad, but it begins
0: by by admitting the bad. What I've seen some churches do is the opposite of what we're trying to do in this podcast. In this podcast, we're trying to talk about the brokenness and dwell in it a little bit and grieve in it a little bit and then find the beauty out of it. Some churches, they just find the brokenness and they go, great, ignored, move on, here's the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah, And that's not entirely healthy. We have to make that move eventually. but you can't find the beauty in all of this unless you sit in the brokenness and grieve and those who withdraw and isolate themselves and find themselves in loneliness sometimes they just don't find the opportunities to do that grieving or to sit in that brokenness but we admit something
1: wrong and then we come together and we say we can't begin the cleanup process until we admit something's broken I don't know what these conversations have have triggered for you as as Drew and I have had these. But one of the things that's really important to us is if you are frustrated with the church, if you have experienced some of this brokenness, if you have caused some of this brokenness, we
0: just want you to hear us say, we're sorry. Yeah, we admit that uh, the church has done things to isolate people. The church has not always handled sin well which is a funny thing to say because you would expect the church to be the one place where sin is handled well but it hasn't always been handled well and if your sin or your brokenness or your sadness or your loneliness has been responded to poorly by the church we're sorry
1: talking about some hard stuff uh in this episode next episode we're going we'll to be talking about some really good stuff because Drew and I believe in the the power of the church through the Holy Spirit more than we ever have.
0: Hello friends, I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. JP, man, how's it going? We're back here for episode two. It's good to see you. Good to see you doing the, the virtual school thing with the kids, but life is humming along. Things are going well. Life just keeps on going. It's like what they say about church and church work. It comes around every week, and it's the same thing with school. Every seven days, there's always a, another task to be done, exactly. but we're hanging in there. Exactly. We're good. We're good. Uh, last, I guess it was two weeks ago when we recorded our first episode there was snow on the ground, and today is very different. It's a Tennessee winter. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. We're not New England anymore, Drew. We're not New England anymore. It was snow two weeks ago and 60 degrees today, and I'm itching to go play golf. <laughs> Don't say that. Okay. But I... <laughs> but uh, glad to be here with you, JP. Uh, we joke that Sunday comes around every week, but that's one of my favorite things about every week is that We get to be a part of something beautiful, and that's church. Last week, we talked about the brokenness of church, and this week, we're going to talk a little bit about what's beautiful about church.
1: I'm glad. That was a heavy conversation, a needed conversation, but heavy, and I think one of the things that heavy conversations like that can do is it can cause you to create some distance between yourself and that which is broken out of self-preservation, out of safety. And I definitely understand that. So when we talk about the brokenness of church life, and it's real and it's true, sometimes we want to distance ourselves from that. And I think that can look like a couple of ways. It could be, I'm no longer going to participate in church because it's been too harmful. It's been too hurtful for my family, for myself. Or we can say, I'm going to be engaged on some level, but I'm, just, I'm going to keep it all at arm's length. Yeah. So i um, kind of there but i'm not all in and i'm keeping it at arm's length and i think that'll be the interesting thing about today's conversation is how can we be honest about the bad while naming the good yeah we recorded a
0: couple weeks ago and i walked away and i was like we're gonna put that out into the (laughs) internet and just out for anybody to hear like that was not a fun conversation to have but the more I went back and listened to it while editing it and listened to it after again. And, and I got comments from people and I'm sure you did too, that people were saying, thank you for just how open you were and admitting that being around church people isn't always easy and that there's often some tension there. Um, And so we're two weeks out. I think I can say I'm glad we did it.
1: (laughs) Well, it reminds me of the first time, an older mentor pointed this truth out to me, the resurrected body of Jesus. So when the disciples, the believers encounter the resurrected body of Jesus, they're so excited to see Jesus again and Jesus is alive. And yet Jesus resurrected. Body still had scars. There were, there were still, Hey, touch my hands, touch my side. So it's like, it's resurrected. It's wonderful. It's amazing. They're also excited, but there are still scars. And so we're going to talk, we're going to have like a really positive conversation, which suits my personality because I like positive <laughs> conversations. But the scars are still there, just like the resurrection. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about what's one thing that we do every Sunday? And in, in my tradition and in your tradition as well, the same tradition, we have communion every week. Mm-hmm. And what do we do in communion is we focus on the broken body of Jesus. But hopefully our time around communion doesn't just stop with the broken body of Jesus. We remember that Jesus was raised to life. I like to tell people like communion and church time is not sad time. (laughs) It's reflective time, but it's not just sad time. God has come to redeem his creation and God has come to put Jesus in the middle of that as the access point of what all is going on there and it's we can't just focus on the brokenness but we have to come and see the beauty of all of what god is doing at the same time yeah we need transformation and we believe it can happen yeah absolutely so uh this week we're talking about the beauty of church and we've come up with four things that we think is beautiful about church something that we hope that you're encountering each week or each time that you walk into a church building and spend time with a gathered collection of believers. Do we want to name those four things and we can kind of walk through them a little bit? We've got some stories that we want to tell you that goes with each of these four things.
1: Yeah, our sequence is going to be, first, churches provide open weekly gatherings. Then second, churches provide an intergenerational community. Third, churches offer ethical accountability. And fourth, churches offer a transnational
0: identity. So, Drew, what do we mean by open weekly gatherings? So I think about a lot of organizations in the world. For some people, when they think about coming and participating in church life, they think about, what do I have to do to get in? Because there are so many other organizations in the world that are like, here are the qualifications. Like, here's what you have to do in order to be a member or a part of our community. And church isn't like that. Uh, I, I hope your church isn't like that if you're part of a church, but we welcome people to come and to celebrate the risen Christ with us each week. For those gatherings to be open and available to anyone, it really provides us an opportunity for a really beautiful thing to happen, beautiful things to happen. Mm-hmm. One story that comes to mind for me, there's this joke that goes around my office that <laughs> whenever our uh, lead pastor, preacher, goes out of town something happens. And usually I'm the one who has to deal with it. (laughs) So there's this time a few years ago, early on in my ministry where he had gone out of town. And so I uh, was preaching that day and the service ends and I go, that was a pretty good day. Yeah. I I feel comfortable with what I said. People seem to have positive responses. That's great. And so I'm talking with people just mingling after church and this member of our church comes up and he says, Hey, there's someone looking for you. And JP, you and I know that as pastors, <laughs> whenever someone says somebody's looking for you, it's not always a fun or positive thing. But anyway, someone said, Hey, someone's looking for you. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, like I'm here, like bring them over. We'd love to meet them and talk with them or whatever. So another member of our church had brought a friend with them and they had gone through service and they had heard the sermon. And at the end of it all, they decided, I want to be baptized. And this is a great and beautiful and wonderful thing. So excited that it happened. But in the moment, my brain was like, oh, I'm the guy who has to deal with that now. (laughs) And so I gathered a a few of my friends that I knew were going to be sticking around for a little bit. And I said, hey, we have this, this person from the community who wants to be baptized. Would you stay with us and celebrate with this person? And it was just this really beautiful thing. We baptized this woman. Uh, we prayed with her after. And and it was just a, a beautiful time together. Well, you were thinking about the potential awkwardness of going
1: through a baptism, which is about as intimate as it gets, right, for yeah. Christians, with someone that you had never met. And then you're like, oh, no, we, I need to get people here. Like, right. we can't do this alone. So you're trying to—you're immediately going into logistics mode. She's not thinking about any of that. She's just thinking— I, I, I want a place where this can happen. Mm-hmm. I want a group of
0: people to be with. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Yeah.
0: And if, our, and if we hadn't had open gatherings, yeah, she never would have showed up. Mm-hmm. She never would have felt warm and invited to be a part of that. Uh, and so I just think back on that memory with such fondness of this is what happens when we welcome people into our church body.
1: I'm always amazed at the people that just walk in every single week that I don't know. You know, I'm at a smaller church now. Uh, We are near an urban center where people can find us easily. There are sidewalks they can get there. And the number of folks that just walk in, I mean, I have a friend that he probably comes to our church about once a month. He can walk there from where he lives and he frequently wants to address the congregation and he doesn't, talk for four or five minutes or something, but he'll just say a hard, I had a hard week and I need prayers or my back's hurting and that's made it hard for me to do my factory job. But he just, he just wants us to have a special prayer for him and he wants to be heard. And every time he does that, it's a little bit different from our normal protocols, but like every time he does that, I'm like, what, how wonderful it is that there's a there's a place where he can be heard. There's a group of people that he can just walk in and he wants to be listened to and and we can do that for him and i can think of countless countless people i've known over the years such beautiful relationships because they just walked
0: in unannounced probably on a weekly basis every week we hear stories from our people at church who are in charge of our security (laughs) about who showed up asking for help Or, Mm -hmm. you know, needed money or needed a ride or something like that. And oftentimes we hear those stories from those people and we go, oh, this person showed up again? Or like, oh, we had to help this person. And I hate that sometimes that's our posture. Yeah. Because our posture should be, I'm glad this person felt comfortable to walk into a church building where there's nobody they know That can be incredibly intimidating, but to come and ask for help, like that's an incredibly uh, humbling experience. That's one of the beautiful things about church is that hopefully people in our churches are meeting these people and saying, you're welcome here.
1: Yeah. If someone comes in and comes into our services with a need, a pronounced need that they're talking about, it can be overwhelming to know how to best walk alongside them but I was talking to a friend about that. And I'm like, hey, you know, this so-and-so walked in and they need this. I'm trying to figure out the best and healthy way to handle this. And they said, JB, this is not a problem. Mm. What's a problem is when they stop coming. Mm. Because the good news about this is they see a building with a cross and they say, that group of people will hear me out. That group of people will welcome me. And I can at least expect an audience with yeah. that group. Yeah. And so, it's the openness of these gatherings, but it's also the weekly rhythm of these gatherings. You know, I was thinking about this. Yesterday, I ran into a friend that I hadn't seen in 10 years. But there there was a time in my life where we were super close, hung out regularly. And I saw him and I just thought I would love to spend more time with him. I'd love to reconnect with him. I'd love to hang out with him. And it was one of those we exchanged our cell numbers. But you immediately run into just the frantic nature of modern life and how hard it is to schedule time, right? Especially during COVID with all that's going on now. And I've come to realize over the years that I know the people that I'm a part of church with really well. And it's not because they're the most similar to me, (laughs) because a lot of them are very different (laughs) than me in so many ways. Um, It's because of the frequency. It's because I see them
0: once a week at a designated time, 52 times a year. Yeah. If you spend enough time with people, eventually you're going to see their kids grow up and maybe their kids' kids grow up. And that leads us to the second thing that we really find beautiful about the church is that the church is a gathering of many generations, or we hope it's a gathering of many generations. We call that intergenerational community. Uh, Our church does this really beautiful thing where we dedicate children to the Lord. And some people might be like, what does that even mean? You dedicate children to the Lord. We did this yesterday at our church. We had a baby that was born who is actually the great grandson of one of our church shepherds. Wow. So uh, on these Sundays, we invite the whole family up onto the stage and uh, since this child's great-grandfather was a shepherd, he was doing the dedication, and here's what that looks like. They look at the family, and they say, do you commit to raising this child in the mm-hmm. Lord? And it's a really beautiful thing to see the parents say, yes, we do. But then something else happens. The person turns around and looks at the rest of the church and says, do you, the church, commit to raising this child in the Lord? And the church says, We do. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first Sunday that I was there and we did that. I felt the weight of that. I was like, this child? Like, I don't know how long I'm going to be with this church, but like this child, like I'm now a part of raising that child Mm -hmm. in the Lord. Like if I'm still here in 15 years, I'm going to see that child as a 15 year old and have conversations with them about faith. And just like the weight of that can seem like a lot, but it's actually a really, really beautiful thing to know that. If you spend long enough in this church body you've got people that are looking after you and you're given the beautiful opportunity to look after others yeah so intergenerational community is to me one of the best parts about church i've got spiritual aunts and uncles who are not my actual aunts and uncles that i know i could go to for anything i think as we look at our
1: culture we see that one of the biggest problems is that we've formed a lot of generational silos where generations don't talk to each other because of the way we do education, because of the way we do friendship, quite honestly, in this country, you spend the majority of your life dialoguing with other peers and you make people that aren't in your peer group, older or younger, kind of the proverbial other in some way. I know that for me this past year, so being a part of a church, even though it's looked different during COVID, but just having older and younger people in my life, um having having people that lived through the 60s so we we heard a lot this past year oh this is kind of like 1968 but i'm really glad that i have people in my life who were alive and in their 20s and 30s in 1968 and i can go to them and say what was 1968 like um i'm grateful i remember this was a couple years ago at my church i have been personally trending more towards kind of a pacifist take on war over the last decade. And I was preaching on this one Sunday, and and an elder at my church who fought in World War II in the early 40s in the Pacific Theater, he came up to me afterwards, I think it was a week or so afterwards, and he, he gave me a book. And he said, he said, I respect what you're saying, but I want you to understand why I did what I did. And it was such a, It was such a great conversation because he wasn't (laughs) angry and he wasn't upset. And I had not been disrespectful of the military in in my message. I just asked some probing questions based on Jesus' teaching. But it was this book on what people were actually experiencing in 1941, 1942, 1943. And it, it was a dialogue. And I have really benefited from talking to older people over the last year about things that are going on and younger people talking to college students, talking even to my own children. What do you think about things that are going on now in our world? And my own children, my six-year-old, my nine-year-old and 12-year-old will often say things I'm like, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me another story I'll tell you, um, having our church a few years ago, We did, as part of like a a mission week, which is kind of like our VBS on steroids, we did a simulation of a refugee camp. And we had heard about other groups doing this. And we were trying to understand what happens with refugees and who are refugees and kind of that whole system with how the UN resettles people all over the world. And so we did this refugee camp simulation in our church where... It was certain members of the congregation were designated as refugees and then other people were designated to work the camp. It was all like a role play thing. And we ended up in this setting where a 90-year-old man and a 10-year-old girl couldn't get into the camp. It was full. And they were in this side room and as part of the role play, other people were speaking a different language that was not their own and they didn't know where to go. And this 90-year-old struggled with Parkinson. And like he was tired and he was fatigued. And the 10-year-old was getting really concerned about him. And, and this was all a, a role play. But we kind of had a debriefing in the auditorium afterwards. And I think we had come to understand something by doing that together, young and old. So taking a contemporary issue, diving into it together, seeing how it played out. And it would have been so different if just one age group had tried to do that.
0: So I'm a part of this church that has a wide span of generations in it. And I'm so grateful for it. I used to always joke that like, I've got all the old ladies just wrapped around my finger. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm just seeing that it's like, it's not just, it's, it, it wasn't that at all. It was that these ladies knew how to love other generations so well. Because they have so many years of loving under their belt, they know how to love really well. And it's a really beautiful thing to see. And there are ladies that I walk into church and they won't let me walk by without giving them a hug. And there are some Sundays where I'm like, okay, I'm busy, but I'll give you a hug. But then there are some Sundays where I'm really reminded I need them and they need me. And I'm so grateful to have a community like that to be a part of. I've seen these
1: holy moments where a woman announces at church that she has cancer and she's in her late 30s, early 40s. And then after the service, you see all these other women surrounding her, women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, who are cancer survivors. And I've never had cancer. I'm not a woman. I can't speak into it in the same way. But I see them huddled around this younger woman that's now battling cancer. And they have battled it themselves. And they just have their hands on her shoulder. And it is a it's a holy moment, mm-hmm. and and you don't get that everywhere. I mean, I find that a lot of times older generations can give us wisdom, can, can show us the power of certain commitments, but then younger generations, they often have an energy, a flexibility, an openness that we need. Like, mm-hmm. we're better off with all the generations together,
0: and I think churches are the best place for that to happen. I think that's how God designed it. Yeah, yeah. I love that you mentioned there is a... Um, within this intergenerational model, there's a wisdom that kind of floats around. I think wisdom in our culture now is needed more than ever. Like Mm -hmm. what you're saying about past generations saying like, well, this is what we've gone through. I'm seeing something very similar. Like we need some of that wisdom. Now, one place where I see this wisdom play out, and this is in our third uh, topic for today is in ethical accountability. Mm -hmm. I, I will admit that I am of a younger generation and I fall prone to some of these things that I see happening in this younger generation where as long as what you're doing is pure of heart and comes from your best intentions, then it's okay and perfectly ethical. But that's not always true. (laughs) (laughs) Like I've, I've I've seen people in church call other people out for like, I know where you're coming from and Mm -hmm. surely there's good intention there, but, I don't know that this is the way god would have things to be and so there's some of that wisdom that floats around church that influences our ethical accountability there's this theme in churches that we can often find a positive peer pressure
1: now sometimes it can be people are in each other's business inappropriately and and that's a different thing but this sense of positive peer pressure both of us are what i would call middle class churches Mm -hmm. economically neither one of us are at like the wealthy parts of town, so to speak. And there's a positive peer pressure that I feel about people keep each other in check on how they spend their money. Mm. Um, And I've seen it from time to time where someone does something that is overly extravagant and people just kind of politely smile, but you can tell it's not, it's not super embraced. You know, I would be super embarrassed to park a fancy car in our church parking lot. Okay. And, and once again, you got to be really careful not to get into like being overly judgmental and things like that. But there's, there's a positive peer pressure about we're going to be wise with our money. We're not going to put on airs. We're not going to move toward, towards opulence and, and things like that. Another thing I think about when it comes to ethical accountability is one of the things we see in our culture now is the inability of people to have hard conversations face to face. Yeah. People have, this hubris of thinking they're gonna they're gonna solve some of the most complex problems that we have as humanity over social media. <laughs> and we all know how that goes. But church provides, specifically, you know, when it's not COVID times, church provides a space, a community, an opportunity to have hard, challenging conversations face to face with people that you have a long-term relationship with. So case in point, this summer, our church did at our at our midweek gathering on Wednesday nights. We read a book on racism written by a Christian on the history of racism in American churches and how we can combat racism. Everyone in our church thinks racism is a sin. And still, <laughs> not everybody talks about it the same way. Not everybody has the same solutions for it. And there can be some frustration that even happens when one another on, I think this is a dead end, or I think it's better to talk about it this way, specifically we talk about It's a phrase you hear a lot nowadays like we're complicit in this evil economic system or we're complicit in this evil racist system or whatever when we talk about complicity and so i witnessed so many conversations where people would say hey this is how i'm looking at this what am i missing this is how i'm looking at this what am i missing and people would would come back to them and say I'm really troubled by the way you're thinking about this. That's, that's hard. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a yeah. really hard thing. Yeah. And, and there were times I'm like, this may be the worst decision I've ever made as a minister <laughs> to have this conversation <laughs> uh, during a pandemic. But we grew from that. We, we grew a lot because what we said is this group of people is not here to make you comfortable. This group of people is here to make you grow. And we have a target of growth and that, target is Jesus and we're all moving that way together
0: yeah I know of two gentlemen within uh, our church that at least pre-covid every Tuesday morning they would get together at this donut shop and I happened to stumble across them one day had no idea they were meeting had no idea that they had been doing this for a while so I sat down for a couple minutes and started to talk and I began to realize that these two men are on opposite ends of a political spectrum But they've been getting together for years, I think. And I'm sure they're having hard conversations. I'm sure they're having disagreements. But they're a part of the same church community. And they have the same tenets of faith. And that's what allows them to still disagree, but get along at the same time. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. Hmm. Because I know that, even my own tendency is somebody disagrees with me, I can just put them at arm's length and only hear from everyone. But these are two brothers. They're not actual brothers, but brothers in Christ yeah. that can get together and embrace each other and unite more over their commonalities and their mm-hmm. differences. I'm really struck by how often in my
1: life another man that's a part of my church will tell me, hey, JP, say say a prayer for me this week. I have not been patient with my family lately. I have not been the husband and father I need to be lately. That's not a rare thing. Like that frequently happens with the group of people I hang out with and I I frequently say it to them. And sometimes it gets into deeper things that um we don't have time on the podcast to get into it. Like it, it gets real fast sometimes with some of these confessions and some of this accountability. And, um, I see the fruit of that over, over the years. I mean, it's hard, but it, it produces results. Like I'm a better person. I'm a better person because of the positive peer pressure I received from my church and the hard probing questions my
0: friends ask me who are part of my church speaking of hard probing questions this fourth thing that we think church offers is what we call a transnational identity and uh this is a this is a this is a tough one for a lot of people because i think it would be really nice for a lot of people to be a part of a church where everybody believed the same thing about politics about classes about socioeconomic standing and policies and things like that, but that's nearly impossible to find. <laughs> uh, there was There's this Christian author who on Instagram just did this ask me anything mm. kind of thing, and somebody asked, how do you reconcile your faith when the majority of Christians support X party? You can probably guess which party I'm talking about, but uh, how do you reconcile your faith when the majority of Christians support this party? And... She responded, and I thought it was, I I had never thought about it this way. The majority of Christians do not live in this country. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, you're right. There are so many Christians in other parts of the world who I might agree with more or disagree Mm -hmm. with more. But what we do each week is that we unite over our commonalities, and that's our belief in the risen Christ. You, you're, we're sitting in your dining room, and I'm looking at this. You have a map of Italy on the wall over here. <laughs> I do. And I'm thinking about your father in law, who's a good friend of mine, missionary in Italy, and mm-hmm. all of the stories I've heard him tell about all of the different churches he's been a part of, and just how beautiful those experiences mm-hmm. have been crossing uh, national borders and identities. Well, along with that, you mentioned the map I have
1: in my dining room. My grandparents were missionaries to French West Africa in the 1970s. And I remember going over to their house as a child. My grandfather served in the Air Force. My grandfather was very patriotic, and yet... I don't remember a lot of American symbols in their living room. I don't remember an American flag or anything like that. There were a lot of things from Africa that they had brought over from their time there. And I grew up with this notion that the Christian faith was a global thing. So this this fourth category, this transnational identity is so important because I know there's a lot of real things we're working out In the United States right now. And those things were important. I don't want to diminish the importance of those things. Those are real. But what I see a lot of Christians falling for is they're not realizing that there's a higher category, there's a higher identity available. Because I know some Christians that they are living and dying every day with what's going on in this country. And I want to say, Mm. Hey, I like this country. I love this country. But at the end of the day, it's not the biggest thing going on like I have an identity above this. Amen to that. It's been so interesting in recent years how you to someone you meet someone and they're Christian. People almost don't identify themselves by what we would think of as denominations anymore or church traditions. But they identify themselves as Republican or Democrat Christian, a red or a blue Christian. And once again, those things matter, those things are real, but there are bigger categories at stake. Yeah. And I go back, you talk talking about the intergenerational thing. I go back to older mentors who, when you talk to them about what really mattered, they had mission work on their minds, and oftentimes that was international, and what they brought to that was, I'm a part of something bigger in the United States, and that was part of their identity, and, and I want that same type of thing. I think of this story, probably happened five or six years ago, which really moved the needle for me and really made me in a new way think about what we're talking about here. I was teaching a, a freshman course at Lipscomb University, uh, and the course was on the book of Acts in the New Testament. And we were reading Acts chapter 8, where Philip encounters an Ethiopian. You may be familiar with with the story. Um, the Ethiopian's trying to read from the prophet Isaiah, and Philip explains it to him. The Holy Spirit's involved, and he's baptized, and he goes on back to Ethiopia. And uh, we were ta- I was talking about that. Story with my students, and we were studying various things. And then after class, this young lady walks up to me, and I knew I knew she was from Africa, and I think I knew she was from Ethiopia before this. But she said, "Hey i I just want you to know, like that's my story." And I said, "Tell me about that." And she said, I, "I'm Ethiopian." And she's like, "I I'm part of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church," and she said, "It is the longest run, continuously running church." in history. Wow. And she said, "We trace our roots to him coming back to Ethiopia." Wow. And she said that's my story. And I got chills cuz I'm like, I mean, this is this thing's 2000 years old. And and it's global. And it and it touches people all over the planet. And as much as I value this country it's about 250 years old. <laughs> and, and to have an identity that's ancient and global, it just gave me this sense that I get every now and then of, I want to be a part of something bigger, and this is something bigger.
0: So I want to recap those four things just real quick. Uh, you and I can each take one of them. Uh, one thing that we think is beautiful about the church is that we have open gatherings, that people are welcome regardless of, race or creed or beliefs to come and worship and be a part of something bigger than themselves
1: and in a culture of age segregation and generational silos the church offers a place where young and old can come together people of different generations even millennials like drew can come (laughs) together and listen to one
0: another and grow together and As beautiful as these open gatherings are, and these intergenerational communities are, that doesn't mean that everything is easy, but it is still beautiful. And one thing that is not easy is that we have to be held accountable by others in that community. And a lot of times that means that our ethical accountability comes into question. But here's the thing is that we're surrounded by people who love us, and are committed to doing life with us. And that makes those difficult conversations easier. Because our ethics should match up with an identity and
1: what we're given in the scriptures and in the Christian tradition is a transnational identity. We are part of the kingdom of God, which is greater than any kingdom of humans. We're citizens of heaven. And that's an identity that shapes everything. It's an identity that gives us hope. And it's an identity that protects us from thinking all of life has to be filtered through for example red and blue categories it gives us an ability to go above and beyond that and friends it's refreshing I don't know what I would have done the last decade without that identity
0: for those of you who are listening to this podcast who might feel that the church is still a broken thing and want nothing to do with it we want to say we hope you come back We wanna say, we hope that you can find an open weekly gathering to be a part of. And we know that involvement and
1: participation looks different for different people. And there's a lot of different ways to be connected, but we miss you. And in our next episode, we're gonna be talking about what are the ways you process being involved? Like how how do you find a spiritual community that's a good fit? How do you make those connections and how do you connect in a a healthy way? Because a lot of us are thinking, Maybe there's a time in my life where I was connected in an unhealthy way or I experienced something broken and I had to push back. Well, what does it mean to reconnect in a
0: way that is healthy for you and your family? And that'll be our next conversation. Yeah, because you're not automatically going to walk into a church building and say, (laughs) you're right. This is the beautiful one. I found it. (laughs) For those of you that may be in a church community now and are still listening to this podcast and you're like is that the the body i'm a part of is that the group of people that i associate myself with like like we said we'll talk about it next week dig in a little deeper you just might find what you're looking for yeah we appreciate the
1: conversation and we look forward to more until next time jp good to be with you good to be with you as always true